Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM, the Ask Brian Radio Show. Each week we have a guest that will either teach us something about business or has a business background, has created a company, created something, and we want to teach people something about it. Now, Ask Brian is spelled A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N, and for that, we actually have a dedicated person that's just responsible for the E and why there are E's. And his name is Patrick. Even though there's no E in Patrick, he is the Mr. E. I was about to say, I am a mystery. Well, but mystery has an E. Fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, but there's the E's and all that good stuff. <laughs> like when you were in grade school, you just got all E's, right? Those weren't even grades. They were excellent, excellent, excellent. I mean, unless you count the E as like extra credit, then yes. Well... I don't want to talk about the extra credit that you had to get because you were always playing outside during class. Actually, it was inside. You missed nap time in kindergarten. I heard that. I still miss nap time, actually, personally speaking. You have a demerit for that, don't you? <laughs> Missing nap time. I was a quiet kid in school, actually. I really was. <laughs> so was I. <laughs> <laughs> Look how we turned out. <laughs> Never judge a book by its cover. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And you went to college and you got a degree in engineering, right? I did. Not engineering and communication, but it allowed me to engineer. It's kind of a very broad, very broad. Very broad? Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting. So you're not an engineer, and yet you were my engineer for three years? Still worked out. That's a problem. Okay, now I know why we <laughs> had so many issues. All right, that's, that's got it. That's a problem. Okay, <laughs> okay. And I don't have Tracy to back me up here. Well, yes, we took her away. No. We didn't want to have any backups <laughs> or anything going on. So for those people who have never listened to the show and can completely confuse what's going on, Good catch. What was that? Oh, I got a look. Boy, if I could put that look on the internet, <laughs> on an Instagram thing, I would turn viral and I'd probably get 10,000 people. That was some look. I gave you the look, too. I gave you the look. I was like, well, I'm like, I'm like, uh. I'm like, please don't. I'm like, good catch, good catch. All right. So each week we have our Mr. E expert, Patrick. hey And even though he's Irish, his name is not O'Brien with the E. But each week we have... Mr. Patrick, explain to us why Brian is spelled with an E and what the E stands for. Well, there's a number of E's that kind of make up the theme of the Ask Brian Show. One of our most important ones is education, because we like to educate our audience and our listeners. That's true. And by the way, do Emily have any of those claps or things that when we want to do that? I'm sure no? she does. Uh, she's like looking like, <laughs> <laughs> There's the yay. That's because Patrick got one right. All right, let's go. Okay, okay. <laughs> Again with the eyes. The eye. And there is an E and eyes, and there are two E's. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, next E's are kind of a very... What does sim- that finger mean? She's doing the spinny thing. You guys keep going. <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to keep us on track here. Uh, you never heard of tension deficit disorder, but okay. Don't uh, affect us because we both have a disability. All right, go ahead. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, I'm trying to keep us on track here, too. Well, some one of us has to. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Outside of that, two E's happen to be one is engineer, and that engineer actually happens to be Emily, so it's two E's. So, engineer Emily. Well, Emily's E squared. E squared. Exactly. E squared. And it's not E equals MC squared like Einstein, but it's close. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And she's like looking like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I skipped science class. All right, go ahead. Outside of that, let's see. 
I know that there are two that are also pretty synonymous with each other, but I know you bring a lot of enthusiasm and... EXCITEMENT! There it is. By the way, was that loud enough for people? I don't know. We'll find out later. Go ahead. <laughs> I can't hear out of one ear, so I guess that... What that... did you say? What? <laughs> it's like when I go to a rock concert, right? The speaker's right in front of me. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And then outside of that, we have experts, because everybody that appears on the Ask Brian show happens to be an expert in their field. And do you have those hours yet? No. Emily? I made Emily knows a cheat sheet last week. Yes. Emily knows them. What is was qualified to become an expert? Wait, I don't think I want to do it. Yes, do. <laughs> she wrote them down for me. Let's see, it's 40 hours a week, 52 weeks in a year, two weeks off for vacation, 50 <laughs> weeks times 40 hours is 2,000 hours. That takes five years to be experienced. Yeah, no, that was off of my head, yeah. <laughs> and you were so very... Oh, I missed a doll. My name is Patrick. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't reading anything off well, of you the certainly didn't iPhone. Have, you just certainly didn't use the enthusiasm from the E from Ask Brian, that's for sure. <laughs> what are the other E's? Experience. Before our guest says, what am I doing here? And I'm out of here. Fair enough. Okay. Experience. And there's also one more. Experience and experts are very, also kind of in the same, because they're very, experts are very experienced. Well, did you use excellent? No, just excellent. Like, and then what about Tracy's favorite? No, before you even get to Tracy's favorite, we also have empathy. What is that? It's putting uh, yourself in someone else's shoes. And what do we always say about that? That you can't put your feet in my shoes. Sir. And why is that? Because I wore size 13, you were like a size 4. And you have Nine. no empathy. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I just said what it means. You can't use a word in the same sentence. <laughs> Oh, man. And then we're forgetting, in honor of Tracy, not being And here. also a couple weeks ago. Right. And with Olivia Newton-John. And it was Grease Lightning Electrifying! Electrifying. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We're an electrifying group. Just All like right. a WWE. Well, people don't know this. I'm going to announce it anyway. Patrick has one more week left with our show, and then we have a new person who's going to be taking over. So do you have any sadness? <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> She just slammed you. No, it was a boo. Oh, it's like boo. That's a yay. Yeah. You obviously don't know the difference between a yay and a boo. That was a boo. <laughs> oh my god! All right, so we do have a guest, and he's going. Why did I get in the show? And the person who put me in the show, I'm like, I'm out of here. But before we make him leave, Patrick, thank you very much. Appreciate of course, it. Of course, of course. Appreciate our time next week. We'll have a, a cake for you leaving. Oh, and we'll have, But we'll have to put 10,000 candles in it, so we'll probably burn the <laughs> so place. So I can count them? No, we'll burn the place down. Jerry would be very happy that I burned the studio down. Oh, my Lord. You know, like the roof. The roof is on fire. Anyway. <laughs> raise the roof. Raise the roof. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank See you very much, week? Patrick. Of course. Brian, have you survived? <laughs> the comedy routine. It certainly is. I don't know. One of us is a comedian. The other one is just a very stoic attorney. Anyway, so people don't know who you are. So first of all, let's go about your background. What is your company that you currently have right now? And when did you start it? Okay. So I feel ill-prepared. I feel like I should have a good joke. So I'm not going to fit the vibe of the show. But the company is Good Eye Kid. Started in about 2017 in Irvine, California. Now we're based out in Utah. And I is spelled W-E-Y, not I, the letter I, correct? E-Y-E, good I-E-Y-E, kid, K-I-D. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. I wear glasses. My eyes are bad, but Ah. go ahead. ahead. So we started as a product photography company, 
been doing that for a long time, still do it now for our larger clients. But we noticed a hole in the market where small to mid-sized companies, our spaces, food and beverage, CPG companies, but if you didn't have big dollars, you couldn't really get good advertising and good strategy. What we did is we kind of expanded beyond just creative so that we can offer small, mid-sized companies that big agency feel without the big agency price tag. And not going into a 5,000-page documentary, but how can you do that? So we don't have to outsource. See, the interesting thing, most small and mid-sized agencies have to outsource creative. I know because a lot of them are my clients. So because we do creative the most important thing, I think, for at least this space, it's my expertise, the fact that we can keep all the creative in-house makes the strategy and the actual media buying stuff simplified and significantly more cost-effective. We don't have to outsource anything in that process. Well, doesn't it get expensive? I mean, you know, American photographers, I would think, would be more expensive than if you outsourced it, you know, to somebody in a foreign country where actually the wages are two dollars. Well, for photography alone, photography is going to cost you the same basically anywhere you go. Where people are getting ripped off in these small, mid-sized agencies are basically, let's say, they're going to charge their client two hundred dollars a photo. They're going to come to me. They say, "Hey, Ryan, we need a photo for our client." we can give you $100 a photo. So they're automatically doubling you off the top. The other thing that we're able to do that helps our process and help keep the calls down is if you were going to another agency, they would say, okay, well, for every single photo, so say we want to do three photos of a new product and we're going to use those to advertise on Facebook. They're going to charge you for each individual photo. For our clients, because we have the studio, we do everything in-house, we only charge once. And because we're actually running the ads for people, we do all the variations and all the testing at no additional cost, where there's nobody else that can do that unless they can also produce the content. So one question I have, you know, I think you said Utah, I'm in California. How would that work? I mean, you can't take a picture of me unless you're using Zoom or some type of Wi-Fi internet concept. You're going to be taking a picture of me, so how so does that work? Most of our clients are actually still based in California. We do come out to visit our clients. We have clients that fly out to our studio, and then there's some people that just ship their product. It doesn't fit for every company out there, but again, our expertise is in food and beverage CPG, which tend to be very easy to ship products, so it makes sense. This is nationwide? Yeah, we do it nationwide. And how many photographers does your company have? Well, I'm the primary, and then I have a few people that help me out. So in our philosophy is not about volume, so we do take on only a limited amount of clients. And we try to provide a really good service beyond just scale. So there are a couple companies out there that do do scale, and their whole game is volume and photographers. But, and I'll probably sound nauseating when I say this, but creative is a little bit more of an artistic thing. So it's not something that can really be scaled. And I would argue that most people that do try to scale creative ultimately fail because it's too person-dependent. It's not a machine. Everything else about the advertising process can be scaled, but the actual creative, you are dependent on the individual's vision, usually. Well, I would think that it's going to be more expensive because you can't have one creative that's going to work for 10,000 different companies. You have one creative, one item. So I would think that gets more along the lines of customization, which usually is more expensive, and yet you're able to keep your pricing down. That's an interesting concept. How are you able to do that? Well, limited people, and again, so creative is still the biggest expense. Creative will be the biggest expense no matter where you go, whether you go to the biggest agency or the small ones. Creative is always going to be the big cost. What they do, or people that don't produce creative, and I think that 
the market will adjust for this. But people that don't produce creative have to rely on the strategy side of things and their so-called mystical knowledge of clicking the right buttons. But that's not as effective as it used to be. There's been so many privacy changes that the actual media buying has become very simplified and the creative and the strategy side of things have become the complex. Now, I don't know if this is within your realm, but I know that Europe has created additional privacy restrictions and all the companies in America actually have to go out and follow through and comply with that. I'm wondering, how does that affect your company in the sense of if you have international clients, when you're producing creative for them, you have to comply with privacy rules, not just in the United States, but within other countries. Is that something you're aware of? Yes and no. It's interesting because I think this is the point where the strategy has changed. So I'm not going to speak to international, but I will speak to domestic. And because you can't track people as effectively as you used to, you have to come up with new strategies on how to effectively move product and target audiences, right? So it used to be that you could continuously retarget a visitor to your website or whatever it's going to be in that space. But the cost to acquire a customer has become so high that it's not really the best option all the time. So for us, like we generally like to work with clients that at least have some retail presence because a simple strategy would be to use platforms like Facebook, advertise on there and drive traffic to their retail locations so they can keep that moving. So it's not as measurable, but it's a creative way to get around privacy issues. So if you're dependent on needing to retarget people, it's a bit more difficult right now. But if you're open to trying new strategies and finding new ways around privacy, whether it's email lists, whether it's driving retail, whatever it's going to be, then there really aren't too many hangups. Now, I don't know if you know the answer to this, so if you don't, no problem, but is retargeting dead or people can still retarget? No, definitely not. It's just less effective. I'm also not a giant believer in DTC, so selling directly to customers off your website. I think, at least in my space, now I know I've worked with plenty of people that are very, very successful with it. But for us, I think, again, it just comes back to the cost to acquire a customer without super effective retargeting. It's just, it keeps going higher and higher and higher. And if you're in the food and beverage space where a lot of products are perishable, you're already getting killed on shipping. So you're already working with a tight margin. So you have to figure out another way around creative being very important because really good creative can bring down your cost. And then different strategies may be a little bit less measurable, but more effective. Mandy, you had a question? Yeah, I do actually. So you do food and beverage, but I mean, what in your opinion is most important to consider when you're shooting those pictures? You know, whether it be lighting or the lens that you're using, like how do you figure that out? I would say the most important thing is actually the audience. So I always try to work backwards because what I love might not be what your audience likes. So I have our style, my style and company style tend to be very colorful, poppy, simplistic, clean, but that doesn't work for every brand out there, you know? So it starts with the audience, it starts with the customer, from there we work backwards and we try to give them what's going to move the deal. So what are tricks to making ugly food pretty? If it doesn't look good to you, it's probably not going to look good to them. I mean, you can't make it look good, huh? Well, personally, if I was going to give people a quick tip out there, I would say simplicity. When in doubt, less props, stay product focused, stay simple, and worry about your messaging. At the end of the day, all you're doing is throwing a lure into the water, right? I love that answer, simplicity. 
you know, you're a photographer. You should be taking a picture of the engineer when she makes these faces. I mean, it's just so, so hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> there's no clapping. No clapping. Oh, oh, oh. She's upset. Maybe I struck a bone. Maybe I hit that word, empathy. All right, let's go. I'll let Mandy finish up her questions, and then I have a couple. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, basically, what is your lighting style? You know, kind of like when you're taking a selfie or whatever, what kind of tips can you give us when doing that? Bright. No, if there was one word there, it's bright. I feel like far too many people take photos that are just too dark. I would say more than anything, you need to be able to see it. Get into a window, get front lit, so you don't want brighter light behind you. You want brighter light in front of you hitting the subject, whether that's a product or a person, generally speaking. And just bright, try to get it clear and simple. How has the iPhone affected your business? I mean, you know, everyone now thinks that they're a professional photographer just because they have an iPhone. I actually think it's great. But the interesting thing, so for some of our clients, creative that's actually shot on iPhone so UGC content or organic content is sometimes more effective because it lowers the hurdle of trust. People look at it, they're familiar. If they see a person into it, and it doesn't really look like a super professional commercial or photo shoot, it can lower that hurdle, and people, I think, sometimes can relate to it more. It depends on the product. I know a lot of companies in the clothing space utilize this strategy, and it works great for them. So you're saying creative. That's not just the photograph. That's actually, I would think, the words underneath the photograph or what you're saying about the photograph, correct? Yes, copy too. We do also handle the copy. I actually think messaging and creative, so for me, visual creative and then messaging are probably the two most important things. If either is off, it's going to hurt you bad. And that doesn't matter what business it is. If the messaging's not right, if people don't get the mission, it's just not going to work, no matter how good the photo is. Okay, now let's concentrate on the photo. If you had an option to post the photo on Instagram, Pinterest, and a Facebook post, which one would you select and why? Hmm, what's the company? Twisted Noodles. I would say you have to be on Facebook. I think Facebook is still super effective and super cost-effective for reaching customers, particularly in that space. And why did you select Facebook over Instagram and Pinterest, and what are they? Well, when you're on meta platforms, you could also advertise on Instagram, just go both. But I just think for food and beverage, I think generally speaking, the correct age of your customer is going to be on Facebook. I think it's super easy to target them. You can still target by interest. You're not dependent on super invasive targeting. And it's still a good place to use differentiating creative to hook customers. You can still try a bunch of things and do it cheaply and find out what works. There's some platforms where the investment into creative or the investment of ad dollars is going to be too steep to really see what works or to really tap. What's one tip you would give to, say, a beginner food photographer? A beginner food photographer, I would say, I think portfolio work is super important, and I think that sometimes people wait until customers find them when I think they should just create it's actually one of the only industries I've been in. I was in the performing side of things for a while, but now I'm behind the camera. And I just think if the portfolio is good enough, people need it. And there's really no reason why you can't continue to work and continue to get better. Don't just wait for people to give you permission to create. Right. So what's one thing that you think has helped you improve your photography skills the most for as long as you've been doing it? 
I would say doing it and trying to do things that are difficult. So right. we still do portfolio-only work, even if it's not for clients. But now when we do, we try to do photos or concepts that we really don't know how we're going to do it when we start. So more difficult. I think with portfolio work, as long as you're trying something that you really don't know how to do yet, I think you'll get better faster. I think sometimes people get a little stuck and they don't want to push through and try to figure it out, so they kind of get stuck in a style, and that's not great. Also, specialization. I'm not a huge fan of specialization, but in the creative space, I think specialization is the key. So whenever you're taking food shots, how many photos do you take for, say, one dish? Oof, it could be a lot. For food, it's a little simpler because they can be single shots because for food, it looks nice to the eye when it's a little blurry, a little out of focus, but for say products or say it was packaged what we actually do is shoot a whole bunch of photos and then we merge them together it's called focus stacking and that way we are able to get these larger than life razor sharp images i don't know just a different effect than if it's just a single shot like if it was just a bowl of soup you take one single shot and most of the picture is blurry that's okay but if it was the package in front of the bowl of soup the package has got to be razor sharp generally speaking unless the style is you know secondary product that's interesting well, all right, so that was an interesting point. And so we're trying to figure out, I had a furniture store. It's retail, okay? What am I going to do to get customers? And what can you help me out with on a creative? So for your customer that way, the short and sweet one, it's probably going to be less that you need something super creative, and it's probably going to be more about your offer. So some nice shots of, you know, the building or whatever it is you're trying to push. Come up with a really good, really attractive offer. Get that on a place like Facebook. Test a few different ones. Maybe it's the husband. Maybe it's the wife. Maybe it's the whole family in front of the store. Test a few. See what works with people and then lean into it. If you find that it's all family shots that work, then there you go. You found your angle for creative. If you find that people really only care about what you're actually selling, then you know, hey, maybe I need to focus on product and less about us, less about our story and more about what we're selling. And why did you select offer? Because offer is super important. I think that if the offer is not good, people won't be motivated. There has to be something. Unless your product is so differentiated that you don't have to make a crazy offer. But that's not the case, particularly for a furniture store. There's plenty of competition. So what you guys have to bring to the table is some kind of offer that really separates you from the competitors. And it's probably not going to be wild creative. So when you're talking about that, if you've got a furniture store, isn't that commoditized then? Are you saying that if the product or service that you're offering is commoditized, that the offer is more important, whereas if it's not and it's differential and there's a unique part to it, so it comes down to commodity versus uniqueness, correct? And I think that'd be a good rule of thumb, generally. Not for everybody, but roughly that's probably the case. All right. So let's go over this strategy a little further. So you're a small business owner, all right? How does a picture sell a product or a service? Oof, how do you sell a product without a picture? <laughs> well, welcome to radio. <laughs> <laughs> you go. That's true. We don't have any pictures unless you're watching us on Facebook Live. But I know it might be a tough question. See if you can come up with an answer. That's why they pay you the big bucks. <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer for that. I feel like... I can give an answer if you want me to. I don't like to give answers. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> give me a script. I'll read All right, so... The picture itself, obviously, is an emotional connection 
with somebody. And certainly if the picture is something that's amazing picture or something that's unique about that picture, you know, people can see it with their eyes in Carly. But not everything has to be sold just by seeing. You can sell things by hearing, by audio, right? So sometimes it doesn't have to be the picture itself, but the words itself. Okay. And you can think of some great slogans like the American Express card, don't leave home without it. It wouldn't matter if you had a great picture of the Amex card or not. It's the fact that you don't leave home without it is a slogan that is caught on by years and years of marketing and advertising that now has that expression and the listening part of what it says. You can make it work. So you don't necessarily need to have a picture. Certainly, though, what a picture, I think, can do is it's an emotional tie-in that's going to tie the consumer or whoever's watching it, especially a good picture, that they can look at that picture and go, oh, my God, you know, I wasn't going to buy that, but that looks so good now, I need it. What do you think of that? Was that creative? I would agree with you, but I would argue with you on part of it. All right, let's go. (laughs) He loves to argue. I'd love to. I would definitely debate you on that point. All right, so give me your counter. Okay, I would say that, you know, we'll go back to the slogan and we'll go over use the radio example. I would say if you say it and somebody has to land somewhere because they have to go buy this product somewhere, it's probably not going to go from radio to store. And if it isn't a store, I assume there's going to be some imagery on the packaging somewhere. I would say you might not need a whole fancy emotional campaign, but you at least need the basics. I feel like if you don't, the hurdle of trust, again, gets too high where people say everything's so competitive they can't land somewhere and look and get a feel for the product and its legitimacy, I think that, you know, it's going to be a tough sell. Maybe some people would buy things blind, but I definitely don't think the majority. I think you'd probably go out of business pretty soon. Yeah, whoa. And what are those basics? Just Even just basic product photography, or if it's not a product, if it's some kind of space, then something that showcases the essence of the experience. I think there has to be something being there with yeah it's such a visual age everybody's on the phone i mean unless you're gonna try a totally different strategy maybe you're gonna fly something behind a plane just text that says go to walmart and buy my product maybe somebody will go to it but again i think it's just going to be on uphill with no visuals so how about selling icloud services that's very particular because it's people that are already super familiar with a brand or a, a platform if we were talking ice cold like if it was an ice and again i'm a food and beverage guy so if someone came to me ice cold and they said, hey, I want to start selling soda, and I'm not taking a single picture of it, <laughs> I don't know. You better have an unbelievable out-in-the-real-world marketing team. You better be giving it to a lot of people somewhere on the beach or something, because that's going to be tough. Or you have to hire Ryan. Now, Mandy, did you have a question? Yes. Okay, so I know, obviously, your camera, but like, what equipment is a must-have for you, like, no matter where you're going? I know you travel. Like, what do you take with you? I would say there's three musts other than a camera, because you, you could use your phone. I would say a piece of white poster board, a roll of tape, and one clamp. Oh. I would say you need those. Tape is so useful. I would actually, if I was going to add a fourth, I would say something to stand up, because I have so many just wooden boxes, they call them Apple boxes, use them for everything. A piece of white paper, you can bounce light anywhere you want. It adds so much brightness. You can also use it for contrast. There's so many ways to use it. And then a clamp. I don't know why. It's probably just the most useful thing on a set. I often, whenever I'm working, I always have them hanging from my shirt or hanging from my pants or whatever. Anyway, Ryan, people have been calling up and trying to say, how can we reach you and how can we sign up for your services? So what do they need to do? 
shelf, you could go to the website at <laughs> www.goodeyekid.com. We spell it E-Y-E. Or just send us an email, hello, at goodeyekid. Yeah, always just happy to talk business with people, too. See if there's some way we can help out. And are you still taking new clients? Not as often. And we're kind of specific in the food and beverage space. But it doesn't mean we can't try to point people in the right direction. Do it for people all the time. All right. Now, people don't know, but this show, the Ask Brian Radio Show, is also on YouTube. We are also on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, all the major podcasts. We have a podcast version that will come out in a week. So anybody that wants to listen to this show or another show can do that. We encourage you, Ryan, to share this episode with your users and clients so that they can all listen to the show and get some information and find out more about Ask Brian. But we're very glad that you're on the show. Mandy had a couple of questions. I can't remember what they were all about, but she knows. So Mandy, why don't you ask? Because you never listen. So (laughs) (laughs) what tips could you give for small business owners to be successful? Okay. I'll give a few not creative focused tips. I would say for just a small mom and pop retailer, they got a little sandwich shop or whatever. I would say first things first, you got to get on Google and you have to get on Yelp. So first things first, I would get a nice cleaned up business listing page because that's going to help you out. The next step from there would try to be to keep cohesive messaging across anywhere you are. So if you do have a Facebook page, if you have a Google or a Yelp listing page, try to keep the hours the same, try to keep the mission of the messaging, the same contacts, all that stuff. And then maybe nice logo and nice image of you know who owns the business or whatever it is you sell. That would be the foundation. And then I would say the next step on that would be just some basic level advertising. So Google has really simplified it. Like I said, I think creative and strategy is the hard part. I think the actual advertising, spending the money is pretty simple these days. So you could put together a very simple Google advertising campaign just in your area. So at least people that go onto Google or go onto, you know, Bing can find you. That would be the basics. From there, there's so many other strategies you could talk about different value. You could talk different offers. You could find ways to drive customers from outside the area to bring them in or collaboration with, you know, other small businesses, whatever it is, there's lots of strategy, but you got to get the foundation down first. So what would you tell a person that has limited funds and how do you know if a test is successful? Well, that's a good one. I actually thought you said 50 questions, so I got nervous. I think people are hyper-focused on data, and I actually think data is really overvalued. How do you know if something's successful? Did the business grow? Are people talking? Did you make money? That's what success is. Did you reach a new demographic? Whatever it is. I think that's how you measure success, not by you know, all the little nuances in ad campaigns that are probably not even going to be relevant to you off the get-go. And just to go back, you said with limited funds, all the Google listings, Yelp listings, all of that stuff, Bing listing, that's all completely free. And that alone, and working on your messaging so everything's consistent, a Facebook page, all of that is completely free. So there's no reason why that shouldn't be out there. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to have you on, Ryan. Thanks, Mandy. Anyone wants to get in touch with Ryan, we have that information there. But it's good eye kid. I spelled E-Y-E, not I, dot com. So thank you very much. Thanks. And over and out until next week. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.